Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, this year the Feast of the Basilica of St. John Lateran falls on a Sunday. And so we have a chance now as a whole church to meditate upon this feast. St. John Lateran is the see church of the Bishop of Rome. We associate, of course, St. Peter's Basilica with the Pope, and that's the church that he most often uses for great liturgies. But St. Peter's is not the see church, the seat church of the Bishop of Rome. That is this ancient basilica of St. John Lateran. In fact, if you look up at the facade of John Lateran, you'll find this Latin motto on it, Omnium Ecclesiarum Orbis et Orbis Caput et Mater the head and mother of all the churches of the city and of the world. It's the mother church, the sea church of all of Christendom in that sense. What I want to do on this feast is not to talk so much about the church of John Lateran, but about this rather extraordinary man who has occupied the Sea of Rome for these past 25 years. You know, just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of the papacy of Karl Wojtyla, of John Paul II. He is already the third longest serving pope in the history of the church. If he lives only five more months, he'll be the second longest serving pope in history. Extraordinary, isn't it? 2,000 years of church history, 264 popes, and we're living in the time of the second longest serving pope ever. But this papacy is extraordinary not just because of its length but also, I'd say, because of its breadth and its depth. I want to say just a few simple things in this homily about this extraordinary man, John Paul II. Just a word before I start, I'd urge you to read George Weigel's great biography of John Paul II. It's called Witness to Hope. It's a thoroughly researched and very detailed and very insightful biography. I'm just going to touch on a few very simple points about the Pope. First... I think Karol Wojtyla, John Paul II, is a mystic. He's a man of deep prayer. You know, even as a little child, people notice this extraordinary quality of recollection about Karol Wojtyla. Even as a little kid, he seemed to be able to lose his contact with this world and be wrapped in contemplation of spiritual things. When he was a teenager, he fell under the influence of one Jan Tiranovsky, a rather extraordinary figure. Tiranovsky was not a priest, not a cleric. He was a layman, a tailor in Wojtyla's hometown. And he gathered the young people there into what he called living rosaries. That meant little groups of prayer and study. And in these groups, Jan Tiranovsky moved his charges toward an understanding of Carmelite mysticism. The mysticism associated with Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. A mysticism of detachment 
from the things of this world and therefore attachment to the one great good of God. By all accounts, young Karol Wojtyla was deeply influenced by this Carmelite mysticism of detachment. You know, you can see it in the asceticism of the Pope. They say when he was a young priest, he never had any money. If people gave him money, he immediately gave it away. He never had a bank account. He's never had a credit card of any kind. He'd wear a threadbare cassock, this old jacket that looked like he picked it up at the, at the five and dime. He would often sleep on the floor as an act of asceticism. When he would travel from his home area of Krakow to Lublin to teach, he had no room there, so he would sleep on the hard surface of his desk in his office. Simplicity of life, asceticism, detachment, was key to his life of prayer. There's a great story told about when he was named bishop. He was with young people, as was his wont, out on a kayaking trip in the Polish mountains. Word came that he had to come back to Warsaw, so he made his way back. He met with the cardinal who told him he's becoming a bishop. And then Wojtyla went immediately to a local convent, knocked on the door and asked the sister there if he could use the chapel for prayer. She said, fine. Many hours later, one of the nuns said, whatever happened to that priest we let into the chapel? And they checked on him. There was Wojtyla, prostrate, spread eagle on the floor in front of the Blessed Sacrament. They came over rather alarmed, and he said, Oh, no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. They went away. Several hours later, someone said, You know, did he ever come out of the chapel, that priest? Well, we better check. And in they went again. This time he looked up and he said, The Lord and I have a lot of things to talk over, if you just let me stay for a while longer. Anyone who's been to Rome and been to the Pope's private Mass, or even his great public Masses, can see the same quality of intense concentration on the things of God. That goes way back in his life. It was formed when he was a teenager, and it comes into clear expression, even now in his life as Pope, this concentration on the deep things of God. I would argue that everything else the Pope has ever said or done comes out of this great center. This is the anchor of his life. He's a mystic and a man of prayer. Second thing about Karol Wojtyla, John Paul II, he's someone who believes to the bottom of his soul in the inviolable dignity of each human person. When he was a young man in Poland, he was a professor of theological ethics, moral theology. That was his training. He taught at Lublin for many years, the Catholic University of Lublin, and his courses were on ethics, moral theology. At the heart of Wojtyla's teaching, if I can just be technical for a moment, is Kant's second form of the categorical imperative. Immanuel Kant, the great uh, 18th century German philosopher. The second form of the imperative says this, never treat another human being as a means but only as an end. Fancy way of saying, human beings can never be used. They must only be loved. Wojtyla took that principle in from Kant, but he also realized that behind Kant was something much more basic, namely the gospel, namely the Bible message. It's because we are created by a loving God 
because we have been redeemed in Christ, that each individual person, no matter how lowly, no matter how marginalized, each individual person is worthy of this infinite respect. They're inviolable in their dignity. They can never be treated merely as a means. It's from this principle, on the basis of this principle, that Wojtyla launched his great criticism of the two totalitarian ideologies that tortured him and his people throughout his life. I'm talking about the Nazism that dominated Poland for those terrible years, 39 through 45, and then the communist ideology that reigned from 1946 until the 1980s. What did those two ideologies, one of the right, one of the left, have in common? Neither one understood this principle. Neither one took the human being in his inviolable dignity as the starting point. But rather they both said in different ways that the individual can be subordinated to history or subordinated to the party or subordinated to the nation. And that led to the tyranny that Wojtyla complained about both as a philosopher and as Pope. That's why when he came to Poland in the late 70s and early 80s, he had such a revolutionary impact. When he stood there and said, as clear as you can want, that each individual person loved and redeemed by God is worthy of respect, they knew that the totalitarian system had to collapse because it was out of step with that truth. I love that story about the Pope early on in his time in Poland, one of his early trips. He's giving a talk, and suddenly the crowd just begins to chant, We want God. We want God, over and over again. And they meant it as a challenge to their communist leaders. The Pope, by his simple proclamation of the dignity of the individual, had awakened that sensibility. I think this goes all the way through John Paul's thought and action and led to his greatest practical accomplishment, which is undoubtedly this collapse of the Soviet bloc. A third thing I want to say about Karol Wojtyla, John Paul II. He's someone who believes in the transformation of the culture and the power of the culture. John Paul, as you know, has been throughout his life a great man of culture. He loves music, literature, sports, and especially drama. When he was a young student, that's what he focused on. And even during the Nazi occupation, he was part of a little drama troupe. Not putting on popular plays, mind you, but more like the Shakespearean dramas of Poland. Putting on these very serious presentations that represented the very flower and the best of Polish cultural life. Wojtyla knew that even during a time of political oppression, he could keep the cultural life, he could lead the resistance precisely through literature, theater, drama. This has led him now as Pope to this very deep conviction that a big part of the church's task is the transformation and humanization of the culture. 1995, Karol Wojtyla, Pope John Paul II, issued a letter that included a very strong critique of our culture, the culture of the West, with its hedonism, its materialism, 
its individualism, leading in many cases to what he called a culture of death, tolerating abortion, tolerating euthanasia, tolerating the stockpiling of nuclear weapons, tolerating violence on the streets of our major cities. In all these ways, the Pope saw a culture that was sick. What's the solution? A culture now formed and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen now. Transformed by committed Christians who are willing to go out into that culture as great Catholic lawyers, as great Catholic physicians, as great Catholic teachers and politicians and writers and leaders of business who can go out and transform the culture from within. This has been a dominating and guiding vision of Karol Wojtyla, Pope John Paul II. Let me close with this. It's been said that a pope's primary responsibility is to proclaim Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Because that's what the first pope did. Peter's job was to proclaim Jesus risen from the dead. This, I think, is what John Paul II has done at the most basic level throughout his life, throughout his papacy. He's a man of prayer, yes, because Jesus risen from the dead is the center of his prayer life. He believes in the dignity of the individual, yes, because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and all individuals are called to participate in that resurrection. He believes in the transformation of the culture, yes, because of Jesus risen from the dead. That's the power that transforms the culture. And so on his 25th anniversary, let's pay tribute to the Pope that many now are calling John Paul the Great. This Pope who has done so much to transform the world and above all to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.